we're focusing a lot on kind of the older disabled community, but we really need to be thinking more broadly because care in the home is where everybody wants to be if they're able to recover and rehab and, you know, rehabilitate in their home then, you know, we should be thinking through all the policy apparatus that needs to be put in place to incentivize that, including things like telehealth and improved technologies. Welcome to the Moving Healthcare Forward podcast, where I speak with leaders in the healthcare space to address the challenges facing everyday people, especially our most vulnerable. My name is Dr. Steve Landers. I'm the president and CEO of VNA Health Group, a mission-based, all-inclusive healthcare nonprofit. I'm also a certified family doctor and geriatrician. So I fuse together my experience in geriatric medicine, home health and palliative care with what I see as my purpose, bridging the gaps in care and finding ways to improve the lives of individuals and caregivers. Welcome to our Moving Healthcare Forward podcast, and I'm here today with Joanne Cunningham, who is the Chief Executive Officer for the Partnership for Quality Home Health. Joanne is a well-respected and experienced leader in the area of health policy and home health policy. Before her current role, served as the Chief Executive Officer for the Home Care Association of New York, where for over 10 years she led advocacy and policy efforts on behalf of over 400 providers within the state of New York. And it's just a pleasure, Joanne, to have this chance to talk to you. And in full disclosure to everyone, I get to work very closely with Joanne on a week-to-week, month-to-month basis because I've had the pleasure of serving as a board member of the partnership. So I am very familiar with her work and quite frankly, just very impressed by Joanne's wealth of knowledge and also the real positive can-do attitude that she brings to this work. Joanne, welcome. And I was just hoping if we could get started, if you could just tell us a little bit more about yourself and about, sure. you know, how did you end up in this crazy world of home health care? <laughs> Thank you. And thank you, Dr. Landers. I'm very privileged to be with you. And I think your podcast is great and a wonderful resource for folks who want to understand sort of the direction of health policy making and how we can all make a difference in moving healthcare policy forward. So thanks for inviting me. I actually started on the legislative side of things. And, you know, much like we go in and meet with health staff and talk with them about initiatives and legislation and the need for positive, proactive policy in the home health world. I was one of those staffers, you know, when I was in my 20s and spent the first 12 years of my career in Washington, D.C., working on the Hill. I transitioned into the association world, actually, on the hospital side and did lobbying once I left the Hill federal lobbying for the New York Hospital Association and had a couple different leadership positions there, including one working with boards, hospital boards, which was really interesting. And then ended up on the home health side, actually home care. So worked 
in the home care and home health, personal care. And honestly, once I did that, it was like someone sort of shined the light. I just felt the whole concept of care in the home and how important and pivotal and life-changing it can be. And that was 15 years ago or so. And I honestly would never want to do anything else. It's such an exciting policy world. So you're working in, you know, member of Congress office and meeting with, you know, constituents. And then, you know, you go on this journey where you're working for providers and supporting the provider and the patients as well, receiving home health services, advocate for what they need. And so you've been in the room with legislators in these different ways, both, you know, as a staff member and and then as an advocate and representative of the industry. So what's your take? Like, what do they think about home health care? I think that home health care has a great reputation when you go and sit down with a member of Congress or someone in the stakeholder policymaking community, one of the things that becomes really clear is how much care in the home has touched people. There is very few times where I haven't been starting to talk about piece of legislation impacting the home health field where someone doesn't say, I know exactly what you do because my grandmother, my mother, my father received care in the home when they broke their hip. And they almost always say, you know, we were so glad to be able to receive the care in the home. It helped them get better faster. You know, the nurses and aides and therapists were wonderful. And then if you add hospice in, I would say, you know, it's in the 90% kind of range of how much care in the home, home health, home care, and hospice have affected people's lives. And there's a lot of appreciation. There's a, I would say there's not a real deep knowledge of the breadth and the scope of what kinds of services people can receive in the home, but there's certainly an awareness of how valuable that is. Yeah, that's terrific because once people know and have that personal experience of what home health, what visiting nurses and home visiting clinicians, therapists, the like can do to help them and their families. Then they really, the light bulb goes off, right? And they're like, wow, this is really high value. And it's life-changing for the families that receive the care. And usually they're, it's usually tough circumstances. This is usually a rough situation for a person or their family and the type of care and skill that's brought to them is just so appreciated. And often it's for older people. And so Mm -hmm. I I do sometimes worry that the young generation on the, I was also had some experience in the policy world on the Hill in my twenties as an advocate, an intern with the American Heart Association. I did notice most of us in the staff were all really young. And (laughs) I, I personally hadn't had much experience with home health or with aging related services at that time. So now they're just so bright and caring, these staffers. You know, they've got a lot of idealism and enthusiasm. So you just got to hope that the message of helping older and disabled people be more independent resonates with them. But sometimes yeah. the life experience isn't there. So it's been an interesting couple of weeks, right? So <laughs> yeah, this is, it's not often that a ton happens in just a few short weeks. We have in the home health world, 
we've had a finalizing of the 2023 Medicare home health payment rule. And then, oh, there was an election. You know, now two weeks later, both of these big events were on the forefront. And now now they're sort of, you know, in the past. What are the big take-home messages for home health? Honestly, payment policy is the bedrock issue that we have to pay a lot of attention to because without a fair and equitable payment for the Medicare home health program, you're going to see negative things happen. And I think that's really this core issue that resulted from this finalizing of the payment rule. And it didn't turn out the way we wanted. It did finalize a payment cut, a sizable payment cut that will be game-changing for the Medicare home health program. So we've got work to do. We knew that our chances of kind of turning the Titanic with respect to, you know, convincing the regulators that we were right and they were wrong in this kind of core issue, which is a complicated sort of methodology that determines what our payments are. But, you know, I'm hopeful because we do have another bite at the apple and we have strong support on Capitol Hill. You know, we're in a good position. We've we've spent, you know, the last six or eight months talking about how important an equitable, fair payment policy is for the Medicare Home Health Program. And so we've convinced an awful lot of important senators and House members who, fortunately, all of them are still in their positions. So we do know in the Senate, which is good that we have clarity. But despite that, we are working very hard to position ourselves so that our payment issue and fixing this payment issue can be included in a final package. And, you know, no one really knows kind of what's in, what's out until, you know, these things come together, you know, in the final hours and days. But one thing that we do know is we have really strong support in both chambers and our Senate leaders on this issue, on the home health payment issue, our Debbie Stabenow from the state of Michigan, a Democrat on the Senate Finance Committee, and Senator Susan Collins, who's also a longtime home health champion, a Republican from Maine. So those two members work together very well. And we have you know, other support in key places too. So we're not going to stop until we achieve our goal, which is strong, equitable, fair payment for the Medicare home health program. Yeah. What a wild ride it's been. I mean, with the, (laughs) and trying to talk about it, by the way, as you know, it's, it's not the easiest topic in terms of the technical aspects of it, because, you know, you've got this really multifaceted, multi pronged payment system and it's changed and, so the administrators at Medicare have been, you know, trying to figure out, well, you know, what are the right rates as they've changed the formula and it, and it involves all these different variables. It is quite, you know, complex technical thing. Now, big picture, I, I think it's really easy. It's like, you know, we have an aging population. We need to help more people get the care they need in the home and community to avoid more costly care in hospitals and facilities keep families intact in the community as much as possible and live their best lives. And home health is at the center of that. And it's sort of, when you think about those major opportunities for improving care and the impact that home health makes, the idea of cutting back payments, especially at a time when labor costs, really home health is just labor. It's There's not a lot of other features to it, right? It's people helping people. 
And so, you know, certainly there's technology costs and some other, you know, things that are important supplies, but it's about people and the workforce is what's really important. And it's become very expensive. We have a national nursing shortage. And also those people need to get to the patient's homes and you have to drive there in a lot of places and fuel and transportation costs have gone up. So all the costs to do home health have gone up. The importance is going up, yet somehow there's a group of administrators that the payment should go down. It's a real head scratcher, and that's, to me at least, and also, you know, it puts people at risk. What do you think is the core, like, motivation or sort of mindset in terms of the public servants within the Medicare program that think it's a good idea to cut the payments? First of all, I want to compliment you because what you just said is exactly the arguments and that, you know, your description of the importance and what really the core costs are, which are labor and, you know, and fuel costs and things like that. And that honestly makes you such a good advocate. You know, I don't think there's ill intent by anybody here you know, particularly the, you know, the folks in the, you know, agencies, the regulators who oversee these programs. But I, unfortunately, I don't think they see beyond, you know, numbers on a spreadsheet sometimes. And I don't think they fully understand what it takes to put that nurse in the home and how policy drives really the whole picture with respect to things like, you know, how you as a leader are managing the costs of caring for patients, the reimbursement that you get and balance, keeping it all balanced together. Home health nurses are probably among the hardest working nurses there are because their jobs don't end at the end of the day. I mean, you know, they're not doing that on the acute care side at all. You know, the the paperwork stops at the doorway of the hospital, whereas home health nurses are really working in such a more intense kind of environment, you know, going into a patient's home, being the eyes and ears and really troubleshooting all kinds of challenges that are affecting that patient. And then, you know, having to kind of fulfill all of the the other duties once they leave the patient's home. And I'm not sure that the regulators, the folks in the agencies really understand, you know, what does it mean to deliver care in the home and how sophisticated the care is and how clinically advanced it is, what kinds of innovations are going on. I just don't think they understand it from a real practical delivery standpoint just how operationally it all works. So, you know, at the end of the day, if you're cutting the reimbursement and, you know, this payment policy produces a payment that is less in 23 than it was in 22. So how does, I mean, you pointed out, you know, your costs are going up and yet the payment for the same set of patients is going down. How do the economics of that work? I don't, think they understand fully that they just don't work. Yeah, it's quite a troubling situation. And I think that, you know, sadly, what ends up happening, you know, in this type of environment is that services can get weakened. You know, there's that risk that, you know, the way that agencies have to respond in order to kind of stay 
in a financially sustainable spot is maybe to dial back. And I, I hope we don't see too much of that because it really does just hurt the beneficiary. But the resourcing here is off. There's, you know, this sense, like you said, in the analyses that the agency has done, that payments are higher than what the costs are. And so, you know, they feel comfortable that they can, you know, dial back, you know, and and sort of be true to their responsibilities around the Medicare solvency and the overall, you know, economic health of Medicare. But, you know, on the other side of this, it's not really loosey goosey. You know, there's not just not just so much resources here that you can keep hiring and, and agencies are so struggling with staffing in some places. And really this becomes a money issue, right? Can you get enough enough resources out there to hire folks? You know, they're turning away certain patients and sometimes people are not getting care and that, that'll only get worse. I do think, you know, you do have this issue where they can find examples of abuse and profiteering. And so that then, you know, creates this dilemma on the regulatory side of what do you do? An old friend of mine once would use the phrase, the challenge is how do you keep the squirrel out of the bird feeder? You know, and so I wonder if that's part of what's on the minds of the folks over at Medicare. But I think they're going to throw the, to use another metaphor, they're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater if they keep going down this road. I totally agree with you. But I do think that, you know, as we approach 2023, I think things are going to get perhaps really dicey if things don't change with respect to shoring up this payment for the Medicare Home Health Program. You are already seeing, and I've not heard this to this level in you know 15 years of working in this policy sector. You're already hearing that that there's a oversupply or need for home health. And yet, because of how the payments are sort of diminishing and structured, you know, we're seeing a lot of patients turned away. So that will produce some unintended consequences that we don't like to see. And they will be things like patients not receiving Medicare beneficiaries who are being discharged from hospitals, going home without home health. Well, what happens then? Do they end up back in the emergency room? Do they visit their doctor more often? Are there other healthcare costs that are spiked because of that? Undoubtedly, the answer is yes. And then on the nursing home side, seeing patients who can't access care in the home when they would be able to receive care safely in the home, as opposed to a nursing home visit, are those patients, because of the lack of availability, you know, are they going to head to a short-term nursing home stay? So I think we are going to start to see the crumbling of some things that we thought were really solid. And I think the workforce issues, we've been talking about workforce for, you know, forever yeah. in healthcare. But I don't think we've seen what we're seeing now, which is not just shortages, but intense competition among the sectors because there aren't enough. No and, and so what's, what's going to happen there is that yeah. if you disadvantage one of the subsectors, you know, like home health, for example, because of this idea of, you know, cutting payments, basically the ability to compete for workforce is going to go down. And, you know, if somehow another provider somewhere else has a leg up, you know, we're going to see these great people go out of, you know, helping keep people healthy at home in the community where they want to be and where it's going to cost less. 
and they might, you know, gravitate to a facility. They might, you know, get involved in, uh, you know, a lot of people want, you know, the more remote work. So, you know, get a telehealth nursing job or do something, you know, administrative for one of the health plans. It's going to be harder to keep people if you don't have the resources to pay them. And, and so I think that you're right. It's critical. And the, and the nursing homes, by the way, they are also struggling for staff so that they might find a bed for somebody, whether or not that bed at the facility is going to come along with it enough people to take care of the person uh, appropriately. So, you know, when they, you know, ring their bell at night or whatever need they have that they're tended to, these are real big issues across the board. So will Congress step in and basically implore or require by law Medicare to kind of relook at this and reevaluate a path they're going down here? And so what's the likelihood of that happening? And does whatever happens with these remaining elections that haven't been called yet matter in terms of how that all works out? I do think that, you know, anybody who's making predictions about what they think is going to happen before the end of the year on a piece of legislation, I'm not sure I would go as far to do that. But, you know, what we're trying to do is make sure that in any package, big, small, medium, we are doing everything we can to position ourselves to be included. And, you know, like I said, the good news is there's a lot of strong support bipartisan support in both chambers for home health. I'm not, I mean, I honestly am not sure the House makeup, how that's going to shake out, which is only going to be in charge by one or two seats. Sometimes that's a good thing because what that means is you're going to have to work across the aisle to make sure that, you know, you can get things passed. So I don't know long-term what that looks like, but the good news is that the end of the year, we're dealing with the current makeup of the Congress. So, you know, I think there will be an end of year legislative kind of package put together for sure. Well, if you do have an environment where, you know, it has to be more bipartisan, as you say, or there, there has to be more efforts, you know, across the aisle, you would think supporting home health and advancing you know, home health would be kind of an easy spot for people to start. Usually, you know, when you sit around the table and talk about, you know, the various issues, some are contentious and it gets people's heart rates up <laughs> and they don't want to talk to each other. But helping our parents and grandparents, you know, have a good go of it with healthcare, where they get to get home and recover in their homes and have a have a more compassionate path. I mean, that's got to be something that people can talk about across the aisle without too much trouble. So yeah, I think so. There's the cost issue. I mean, home health, it is the more efficient way to care for people. If you can care for them safely at home, as opposed to in an institution, you're saving the Medicare program dollars. It's really intuitive and it's simple. That's for sure. And the evidence there is pretty strong. It makes sense, you know, conceptually, but also, you know, we've seen Medicare in their work on this value-based purchasing within home health. They've recognized that when they incentivize home health agencies to you know focus even more on keeping people out of the hospital that the results are incredible they they save hundreds of millions of dollars in spending on unnecessary hospitalization when the home health agencies step up and that's the other reason this just makes it it's just so odd that there's this focus on cutting payments because if the rationale 
is that we're going to you know save money by doing this. It's sort of penny wise, pound foolish type of thing because of the impact of the good home health services on you know keeping people healthy at home. So you know that's kind of we've kind of went right into the dark you know sort of somewhat gloomy circumstance in terms of the year over year payment rates and payment changes. That said, I mean, you still got to be, at least I am, pretty optimistic about the future of care at home. This is really where healthcare has to go. It's what the public wants. It's a way to make things more cost-effective. We've got all these technologies that should make care in the community more sophisticated, more facile, what do you see in the future? Is the conversation here going to turn to something more futuristic, like like an enhanced home care model for people that otherwise would need to go to a nursing home or a better role for telehealth in home-based care? Do you see the policy conversation moving to something more developmental and you know futuristic, or are we going to be stuck on this you know sort of you know just getting paid enough to keep the trains going type of thing? No, no, I'm pretty hopeful and positive. And I mean, I think the exciting part of kind of policy is looking ahead and thinking, how do we modernize the Medicare home health benefit, which needs to be done? And, and you and I have worked together with lots of different national folks, the National Association for Home Care and Hospice and other leaders about ideas of how do you construct a modernized home health benefit that helps capture more nursing home bound patients that could be cared for safely at home. And that proposal, choose home, we call it, is exciting and dynamic. But I think that's just the beginning. I think that we need to have a much more robust vision about how do we move care in the home using all the resources in this field and thinking less about sort of the payer, the payer kind of approach. You know, we talk about the Medicare program, but, you know, you think about people in commercial insurance, you know, we should be thinking through despite who's paying, whether it's Medicare, Medicaid, or private pay, you know, how do we grow care in the home so that it's, it's an option that's always front and center, but we really need to be thinking more broadly because care in the home is where everybody wants to be if they're able to recover and rehab and you know rehabilitate in their sure. home, then you know we should be thinking through all the policy apparatus that needs to be put in place to incentivize that, including things like telehealth and improved technologies. Yeah, Joanne, I mean, I think you've got it right. And you've been, you know, quite a leader in this area of trying to advance, you know, sort of a more broad, holistic look at what home health can do, the work that you had done in terms of developing a, a choose home concept. This has been an idea around an enhanced set of home health services that could really allow somebody to choose to go home, even when their clinical complexity and their needs are such that now they would typically have to go to a nursing home. And this idea of this choose home concept is just an incredible vision. 
and having another option when they're in, you know, having a serious illness. And then I know, you know, throughout the pandemic, you've been an advocate for giving home health agencies the flexibilities that they need to use telehealth technology to manage through some very difficult circumstances related to the pandemic. So thank you for being such a a creative and forward-looking force for good in in all this. There's these other players out there, and and one of the big ones certainly are the Medicare Advantage plans, and they've been growing. There's been more and more uptake on the part of new Medicare beneficiaries enrolling in these Medicare Advantage plans. Tons of marketing, right? You can't go anywhere without seeing, you know, seeing the sales pitches the commercials, you know, celebrities and everything. I don't think they're marketing this because it's bad business for them. If I had to guess, it must be a pretty good deal for these plans. Their flyers and their commercials, everywhere you turn, you walk into Walmart, they've got the healthcare welcome center, you know, with Phil and Kathy, you know, ready to sign you up there. And it's just incredible. But this is, you know, a big part of the landscape in terms of how that, those those plans, Medicare Advantage plans, work with home health. What are you seeing and hearing related to that whole dynamic? Well, you're 100% right. And I would bet if we turned on our TVs like right now, it would be a hotbed of Medicare Advantage commercials during the day, especially. So, I, I mean, there's lots of, I would say, policy questions. One policy question is, you know, as a taxpayer, we should be thinking about this, is do you get the same home health benefit under Medicare Advantage plan that you do under traditional Medicare? Because you're entitled to the same benefits under that MA plan that you receive in traditional Medicare. So we're doing some research and analysis to kind of dig back a little bit of the the look at, you know, what is the difference in terms of what you receive in the home health program? Does it matter? You know, what are the outcomes? What are the quality metrics about your experience and may compare to traditional Medicare? But I think one broader issue is we have to make sure that home health thrives under a Medicare Advantage plan. This is the future of Medicare MA growth is is sizable every year. And we've got to make sure that the payment that is kind of, you know, focused on home health, that's part of your MA payment, that, you know, that's enough to receive a robust benefit under under Medicare Advantage. You know, and I think that's why this payment pressure on the Medicare traditional side is so intense because, you know, if you're running an organization and you get paid well below your costs in a couple of the payment streams that you get, it makes, you know, the Medicare cuts on the traditional side even more potent and really damaging to your organization. So everyone's got to pay their fair share for the home health benefit. And that means everybody, including Medicaid, including Medicare Advantage. You know, working in this healthcare world as a physician and as as an administrator, you know, it's almost daily that you get into these conversations about how healthcare is paid for, right? You have more of a a managed care system. Do we have a risk-based system? Or we have a a fee-for-service model, which has really been a more predominant model in past decades. And, you know, when you think about fee-for-service, I think big picture, 
you know, the tendency is to get concerned that, you know, the providers will just keep doing services, right? The incentives could lead to marginal services or folks doing stuff just because they can bill for it, so to speak. But on the other hand, I think we also have to come to grips that, that the other model, a managed model or a risk-based model is not without risks either. It doesn't solve every problem because the issue with a risk-based model is if it's not policed appropriately and overseen appropriately, then you can have skimping and basically rationing of care in a way that's you know harmful to people. We've got to keep an eye on the shop here and make sure that people get the care that's needed and, and that certainly that things that aren't necessary aren't being done in a way that creates waste or or harm. If people are entitled within their benefit structure to a set of services, but the incentives are such for the plans that they just can, you know, tighten the vice on them so that people don't get them or they get limited amounts, and that would be bad news as well. It might save somebody some money, but it's, you know, that's not good care either. And and certainly that's not what the commercial's about, right? When you see the when you <laughs> right. see all those right. those Medicare Advantage commercials, it's mostly about all the extra things that you will get, not about anything being taken away. Got to think there's a happy medium here where we find a winning model with Medicare Advantage, the goal of helping keep people healthy at home that all of our home health agencies have would seem to be very closely aligned with the overarching concept of managed care and population health. So maybe we'll get there. But Joanne, I just want to thank you for spending time with me on this podcast and really thank you for the work of the partnership in Washington. A lot of people's well-being is impacted by this this work and the difference between kind of, you know, bad policy and supportive policy is all the difference in the world for older people, their families, and those incredible workers that go out and do this work, the nurses, the aides, therapists, even a couple doctors like myself. Much appreciated. Thank you and be well. Yeah, thank you. This was great. And thanks to you also for doing podcasts like this and for being such a great leader in the field. We appreciate it. And your voice is really valuable when policymakers hear, you know, firsthand accounts of how this work is so meaningful in the lives of patients. So thank you and Thanks, appreciate Joanne. the time today. We'll, we'll see how it all works out. All right. Be well. All right. You too. Thanks for listening to the Moving Healthcare Forward podcast. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. And if you're interested in making an impact, check out VNA Health Group's job opportunities at vnahg.org slash careers. You can also email us at talentacquisition at vnahg.org.